today we start our Christmas series, and the title of the series is this, The Coming King. The Coming King. It's an interesting concept because in millennium past, thousands of years ago, they were looking toward the birth of Jesus as the coming King and Messiah. And now we who are believers, who have accepted him and understand that he is the savior of the world, are now looking for him to come again and to return. So it's an interesting concept. And I I thought, you know, let's take a time throughout December and look back at the Old Testament and some of the prophecies that involve the coming king. Let me ask you this question this morning. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Have you ever doubted God's existence? Is there a time in your life that you doubted he exists, that he's real? Anybody? Somebody, a couple of you bold enough to say, I'm not really sure. There were moments in my life where I wasn't really sure that he truly existed. Now, everybody in this room today has doubted something regarding God, but it might not be his existence as much as it's been his presence. There have been moments in each of our lives, even if you're a senior saint who's been in the faith for 50, 60 years, learning the word of God, praying, attending church, giving, serving, all the right things, there are still difficult moments that we all face, regardless of the fact that we know that God is real and that he exists, whether or not he's actually with me. And I love it about the Christmas story and about the songs that we sing and about the verses that we read throughout not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament as well, that say that his His very name is God with us. But there are some moments in our lives where we have doubted his presence. We couldn't sense his nearness. And in fact, I think in some of those foggy moments, those dark moments of our lives, it's really important for us to embrace him, to reach out toward him even more so than ever before. Um, some of us in the room today may be going through moments like that. There may be a challenge that you're currently facing where you're wondering about God's presence and whether or not he is with you, if he's paying attention to you. And so we want to talk through some details about the Christmas story that maybe were moments of question whether or not God was with them. Uh, not just the Israelite people, but then later on those believers in the New Testament. And then what we're going to find out and be happily surprised is he never fails and he has always been with his people. So the title of today's message is this, God's plan never fails. He will prevail. God's plan will prevail. It will work. Um, there are moments in our life that we doubt that it'll, if it'll work, uh, we pray and pray and pray. I shared with you recently the really good and exciting news. Uh, my brother got saved. Uh, that's amazing. It's a 35-year... Go ahead. Give God praise. That's a 35-year-long prayer that's been answered. It's pretty slow on the calendar of my life. It's taken a long time. For that kind of thing to happen. But God's plan will prevail. 
He's never known failure ever before, and he's not going to start now. And some of us, even in the Christmas season, need that reminder that his purpose won't be thwarted and that his plan never fails. In fact, we say it throughout the year at any other time too, he's never known defeat. He's never been a loser. He's always the winner, and we're on the winning team. This is good news, amen? So... Before our creation and before our existence, God determined that he would have a people, that he would be able to call his own, and that they would love him, that they would worship him, that they would serve him. He knew that in order to accomplish this, they needed a savior because they were going to burn a bridge between themselves and God, and he needed to send, he knew we needed him to send a savior that would bridge the gap of that place where we had burned the bridge. We had excommunicated ourselves from God. We had left him and walked away from him and God decided to build a bridge back. And that is Jesus Christ, the savior that we know. Amen. So as we look at the Old Testament, I want you to go with me today to an interesting place you've probably never read during the Christmas season, and that is Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. We don't always get the full picture of what God is doing in our lives. There are moments, as I already mentioned, uh, that we have questions. We walk through fog. We walk through darkness in our relationship with God, and we wonder where he's at and what he's doing. And there are moments, though, that we have our hope built up, that we kind of get a glimpse into the future. Uh, you've been maybe unemployed, and then all of a sudden a job offer comes. Uh, maybe you've been struggling in your marriage or a work relationship, or maybe with a child, and all of a sudden a breakthrough happens. It's not fully healed. It's not fully redeemed in the right path just yet. But all of a sudden there's a smile on your face, and you feel like, oh, wait, there's hope. I can do this. God's got this. And so there are moments that I believe God in his wisdom put in the history of humanity to be able to give us a glimpse of hope into the future, which we now see as the past, but also the future. And that first glimmer of hope that we get is actually in Genesis chapter 3. I've mentioned it before, we won't read it today, but in the midst of Adam and Eve's disobedience and God pronouncing a curse on them and creation, as well as that old serpent, that liar from the beginning, in the middle of all of that, there's a statement that God makes in the middle of a curse, he pronounces a blessing to us and says to Eve, your child One of your children, your descendants, will trample this enemy. That's amazing. Three chapters in, we've already messed up, and God's already got the fix on order. Amen? So now we find ourselves seeing another glimmer of hope, and this is in Numbers chapter 22. It's an interesting story. (laughs) It's a really interesting story. Uh, There's a talking donkey that argues with its owner in this story that we're going to read today. And um, some of you might just like check that off and be like, that's so weird. I don't know if I believe that. God who created the world 
allowed a donkey. (laughs) I won't tell you the old word from the King James. Allowed a donkey to talk and to argue with its owner. And I was reading an old historical church document this week as I was doing some research. And the guy's name is John Chrysostom. And he actually said, if God can speak through a donkey, he can speak through you. Amen. Amen. And I thought, man, that's good. That might not get you hired at a lot of churches if you publish that title. But God can use anything he wants. So don't just say, oh, well, that just sounds like fairy tale stuff. Listen, I have a feeling I wasn't going to go here, but I will, Miss Julie, just for you. I have a feeling if cats could talk, the nasty, terrible things they would tell us about how they hate us and they don't like their surroundings and they wish they had things different. Now, if a dog could talk in your house, all it would say is, I love you, I love you, I love you. Anyway, it's an interesting story. It's only two chapters really that we'll look at. uh, Well, three, 22, 23, and 24 of Numbers. It's a great story. Kids love it. Um, It's an interesting story. I want to give you some context though. There's a man named Balak. Uh, he was the king of the Moabites, the king of the Moabite people. Now, Moab no longer exists. If you look at a map and you see Israel, on the eastern border of Israel, you'll see the Dead Sea. And then the next country, the neighboring country there, is modern-day Jordan. So, King Balak... My autocorrect said Barak. That's why I said that out loud. I'm so sorry. But King Balak, he was the king over these people. Now, what ends up happening is the people of Israel are camped out in the city of Jericho. Do you guys remember that story about Jericho? Now, they've gone there and they've put up their tents and they're worshiping God and they're hunting and trapping animals and they're living their life and they're close to the border Of where this king can see them. Now he's heard stories about a group of people, a large group of people who have exited from Egypt. There's been some miracles involved in their deliverance. And now they've been taking over the land. And now they're getting to a place where he can actually physically see them from his kingdom. And he's starting to get a little bit nervous because he's heard about their conquests. And he knows what they've accomplished. He's worried that he's going to be next. So with that as context, look at chapter 22 verses 1 through 3 with me. It says, the people of Israel set out and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan River at a city called Jericho. Verse 2, and Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. That was another people group. Verse 3, and Moab was in great dread or fear of the people because they were many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. So he's really, he's biting his nails. He's nervous about this. Look at what verse 5 says of chapter 22. Then Balak sent messengers to a man named Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river Euphrates in the land of the people of Amah. 
to call him up and say, Behold, a people has come out of Egypt. They are covering the face of the earth and they're dwelling opposite me. Come now, curse these people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. So there's this non-Israelite king that believes in the supernatural world. He is sending a message to a man who is not an Israelite by all accounts. Balaam was not an Israelite. But it will turn out in the story that he is a believer in the God of Israel. And if you're putting two and two together, it sounds a whole lot like the Gentiles prophesying about the Jewish Messiah who would be their own. This is incredible when you look at this story. So he believes that Balaam, whatever he says, goes. And he says, so since I've heard about all the things that you've done, and maybe they've worked together before, I need you to come meet me, and you're going to curse these people so they don't step over my border and come into my land and take it. Now, there are several items or several um, titles, rather, in Scripture for those who are involved in the supernatural world. If you believe that donkeys can talk, at least given the ability to, by God supernaturally for a moment in time, you must understand there is a spiritual and supernatural realm that you and I do not involve ourselves in a lot of the time. When we pray to God, there's something spiritually happening. You are speaking to the ears of your creator. That's incredible when you think about that. But there are things going on in the spiritual world that we don't always understand. In fact, there were a lot of people who were connected to the spiritual world in the Bible, and they're given these different titles. And I'm going to put some for you on the screen today. They're called mediums, diviners, necromancers, fortune tellers, witches, spiritists. Oh, no, witches aren't real. They're in the Bible. They're still here today. They're in our world today. Oh, well, no, that's just hocus pocus. Look at my face. (laughs) It's not. It's more than that. Fortune tellers. There's an interesting story I'll tell you someday about a fortune teller. Spiritists. Prophets. There were prophets who were not of God. Who prophesied things that were not from the God of Israel. There are all these Titles. What happened with the plagues in Egypt? Pharaoh called his magicians not to do some hocus pocus sleight of hand. They actually reproduced some of the plagues, but they couldn't do them all. No matter how deep you get into the spiritual world, if you're not on God's side, you will not understand it all. And let me just say this as a side note. You don't need a fortune cookie. You don't need a fortune teller. You don't need a horoscope. You don't need any of these things that you saw on the screen there. You don't need any of that because the Holy Spirit of God does a much better job than any human ever will. Amen? Amen. So, you and I as believers, we've been given the Holy Spirit. And that's just, um, that's a freebie today. But you need to know that and understand that. So, Balaam's a non-Israelite. He's connected to the spiritual realm. The king sends word to him and says, you need to come here and do this. 
But then what ends up happening is Balaam goes to open his mouth to do as the king wants. And he can only speak blessings out of his mouth. He's prohibited or prevented from being able to speak a curse against the people of God. I want us to look at the four different oracles or speeches, you could call them, sayings, from this non-Israelite prophet Balaam and what he says that gives us a glimpse of a coming king. Look at chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. Now, there's a lot of details I'm leaving out today. You need to read these three chapters. It's a really, really incredible story. Look at what verse 8 says of chapter 23. Balaam declares, How can I curse whom God has not cursed or denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. So Balaam being Listen, he's being paid to curse the people of Israel and he can only speak blessings, but he says something really interesting. He says, I see him talking about a king from the hills. I behold him. And then he goes on to actually say that he wants to die the death of the upright. I want their people to be, those people to be my people. I want their God to be my God. That's essentially what he's saying. So who did Balaam see but a coming king? At that point in their nation's history, they had not had a king. Do you understand? In the chronological order of history, they exit Egypt. They never have had a king at this point. They're traveling through the wilderness. They still have not had a king. They're being brought into a land and conquering others that are there. They do not have a king. And then finally, eventually, they get a king, and his name is Saul. We read about him in Scripture. But this is during that time that they don't have this king. So... I just have to say this about those two, three verses. We need to be like Balaam and not find ourselves guilty of cursing or denouncing something that God has blessed. Don't stand in the way. And you know what? The New Testament has much to say about this too. That in the end of human history, there will be people that call bad things good and good things bad and godly versus ungodly. Let me tell you something. Don't find yourself in the place of calling something that God has done bad or wrong or cursed. But you better recognize it for what it is that it's blessed So this is his first speech. Look at the second speech he gives in chapter 23, verse 18 to 24. Each one of these, the details again that I'm, you know, skimming over, each one of these, they're moving from mountaintop to mountaintop. They're sacrificing, setting up um, altars. They're doing all of this stuff each time. And then he's giving a speech that the king believes is going to be the curse that gets spoken. So it says this in verse 18, and Balaam took up his discourse and said, rise Balak and hear, give ear to me, O son of Zippor. Verse 19, a powerful statement. 
God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? You say, well, pastor, you talk about context in scripture all the time. This is about that moment in history. Yes, but I surely can read that and count it for my day and my time in my marriage, in my family, in my ministry, that God is not a liar. He's not a man that he would lie or go back on his word. He hasn't changed his mind. What he said then still counts now. Amen. And so what he's spoken, he will do it. It may take a long time, but he will do it. It's not taking a long time to him, but to us in our impatience, it's taking a long time. Just like my brother coming back to faith over 30 plus years of prayer. It's, it's not, it wasn't a quick answer to prayer like I would want, but by God, <laughs> It's a good answer to prayer and it was worth waiting for. Talked to my dad recently and he was crying on the phone sharing about he's so thankful that he got to see that happen before he died. And I thought, man, what an awesome thing to just have that as an anchor. And I say all of this to tell you that the same God who answers a prayer like that can answer the prayer that you pray as well. So keep it up. He's not a man that he would lie. He's not going to change his mind. He loves you. Amen. If he said it, he's going to do it. Verse 20, Balaam continues, behold, I received a command to bless. (laughs) So he's telling the king, listen, what God's done, I can't undo. He has blessed and I cannot take it back or revoke it. Verse 21 He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, talking about the people of Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in the people in Israel, in the land. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. There's a message I started working on this week called the shout of a king. I thought, wait a second, Dexter, you're reading this Bible and there's no king. What could Balaam have possibly been hearing when he says the shout of a king is among them? Well, let me just tell you, it's really awesome when you do a little digging. It's not that there is a man who is called a king who is shouting. It's that the people are welcoming in a king. It would be the same shout that resonates or celebration that resonates when any earthly good king or leader is coming into town in the parade. It would be the same sort of welcome that you see at Palm Sunday during the readings that we have in Jesus' crucifixion story, not his nativity. But Balaam says he hears the shout of the king is among those people. Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. Let me ask you, what is the reason that an ox has horns? I know you're not a scientist. You're not a zoologist. It's for protection and defense. Our God is our defender. 
Balaam is declaring these things over the people. Verse 23, there's no enchantment against Jacob. There is no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Notice there is an exclamation point, not a question mark. Not what has God done? Look at what God has done. That's amazing. Behold, verse 24, a people as a lioness, it rises up and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. So can you imagine the king is hearing these speeches and he's not really happy? (laughs) I paid good money for this and here you are. You're all you're doing is the opposite of what I told you to do. So I can imagine he's pretty forlorn at this point. Now a third oracle happens in chapter 24. Look at what else Balaam has to say. Chapter 24, verse 5 through 9. He's looking out. I watched a, let me say this real quick. I watched a video recently, somewhat recently, a few weeks back, about an archaeologist and historian who travels through the land of Israel. And he was actually, he found this area, the plains of Moab, and he found pinpointed essentially three hilltops in that area that he talked about being able to look out and see the encampment of the Israelites, which is where they would have been standing. And Balaam is standing there and he's looking out and he says, how lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel. Like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord himself has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, his seed shall be in many waters, his king, talking about the people, their king shall be higher than random, this random person, (laughs) okay? This random king, you can look him up, he was a pretty big dude. Like big in name, big in stature. He was a pretty big dude. And here Balaam is saying their king is going to be greater than the greatest that you know. And his kingdom shall be exalted. Verse 8. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces, pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, like a lioness, who will rouse him up. Blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. That verse has been thrown around recently somewhat, and in the last few generations, because there is this idea in modern Christianity that we shouldn't speak against Israel because we don't want to be like this is happening in the Bible right here. Blessed are those who bless you. We want to be those who bless them, not curse them. God has a people on the earth. It includes some (laughs) ex-Jews. Do you hear me? It doesn't include just Gentiles. It includes those who believed in the God of Israel and then realized Jesus is their Messiah. There's some truth to this verse that we are blessed when we bless the people of God. 
verse 15 of chapter 24. He speaks again. The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened. Uh, this is a reference, another term that was one of those spiritual, uh, supernatural titles that are given to people that were connected to the spiritual realm is seer. And so he says, I am a seer. I'm one who can see into the spirit realm. Verse 16, it's the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty. And basically, Balaam is telling us that he's falling down with his eyes uncovered, looking, beholding God. Verse 17, he says this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed, Seir, also his enemy shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly, verse 19, and one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of these cities. So the king of Moab is hearing this curse being pronounced on himself and his own people, even though he attempted to do otherwise. I hope you don't get lost here in these last few minutes because the connection is amazing between this and the nativity story. But Balaam says something really interesting at that last point and says, one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of the cities. What an awesome, awesome thought that there is one from Jacob who will exercise dominion. Talking about a coming king. Go with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we read a portion of what we call the nativity, the story of Jesus' birth. In chapter 1 of Matthew, we find a genealogy, a history of those who had each other, <laughs> the begets as we call them. Uh, something really uh, incredible there. There's a connection there too. Matthew chapter 1, it talks about a lady, a female listed in the genealogy, which was not common to list females back then in genealogies. And she is a Moabite. She's not an Israelite. And she is a direct descendant of Jesus himself. It's incredible. So don't just skip the begats. Look at what verse 1 says of Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men, or the other term that's used is magi. I don't know where we get three kings. I, I, I mean, I do. There's a bunch of stuff out there. But the Bible calls them wise men, which could really very well be those who study stars as well as magicians or any of the other supernatural titles or supernatural. Let me say it like this. Job titles that describe people who are involved in the supernatural realm. So it says, behold, wise men from the east. I'm not saying they're from Moab, which is modern day Jordan. 
Don't take that home and Google it and say, Pastor said. But they came from the east, somewhere either Jordan or further away. They came east to Jerusalem. And they said this in verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And we've come to worship him. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Now this prophet, you can go back in the Old Testament and look, it's in the book of Micah, the statement that you're about to hear. Verse 6, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So these three wise men, we say there's three, okay? These wise men came from the east and they are tracking a star that they have seen either created or rising for the first time. And they are tracking that to where Jesus has been born. Now, you don't have to take down your nativity, your cute little nativity on top of your mantle. But they weren't there at the trough when Jesus was born. The Bible says after he had been born that they were coming. They were on his on their way. Okay, So most historians, theologians believe he was probably an infant slash toddler at this point because it would have taken them a while to get from the east to where Jesus was. So following that star led them to this place. There's an interesting connection between Herod and his desire to find out where this king is to be born. He's essentially trying to do something very similar to Balak. The same thing that Balak was trying to do and trying to accomplish, which was, I want you to curse them and get rid of them. Now Herod hears of a king who is going to be his competition, hands down, born in his own realm. And he sees this as a competitive thing. And he says, oh, tell me, tell me where he's born so that I can come worship him. No, he wasn't going to go worship him. He was seeking to annihilate him. But God's plan will prevail. If God protected Jesus of Nazareth all the days of his life, but also leading up to the birth, then don't you think that he loves you and that he'll protect you and that he's guiding your life? There's an amazing thought there that the God of the universe not only was trying to get his way and make his plan happen with his one and only begotten son, but that he's got a plan for you and I. And he's working hard towards that plan. You may not know every detail and you don't have to. But I'm telling you, there is one who does. And all we have to do is follow him. So like Balaam, the Magi are foreigners who appear in the text from outside of Israel. 
Balaam was not an Israelite. These Magi are not an, they're not Israelis. They're not Hebrews. They're not Jews. They are coming in from outside to come and to worship the king. Indeed, the identical phrase is used for the origin of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 verse 1 and the same phrase of Balaam in Numbers chapter 23 verse 7. Both are said to be coming from the east. Balaam as well as the Magi were associated with divination, divination and astrology. In fact, the Magi in Matthew would have been someone that one of the church fathers and historians actually referred to the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 as the descendants of Balaam. There was a running theory then and still is prevalent today that those who followed the star were descendants and followers of the first man who saw the star. That's incredible when you think about it. So there's another connection about Balaam and the Magi because the fees for divination that were paid to Balaam. There's another parallel between the story of Balaam and Matthew's account. In Numbers uh, 22 to 24, Balaam honors Israel and refuses to curse um, Israel. He prophesies good and prophesies the rise of the ruler despite the fact that he was told to curse Israel. And here the Magi are in Matthew chapter 2 and they are declaring that a king has been born. This is amazing. King Herod tries to use the Magi for his own purposes against the newborn king of the Jews, but his evil plot gets thwarted, just like Balak's plan got thwarted. Because why? God's plan will prevail. It will never fail. There's historical proof outside of Scripture that talk about the connection between Balaam and the Magi. And I think that's pretty interesting. It's amazing that God used non-Israelites to speak of a coming king who would save them. As we close our service today, there's, a, there's plenty of connectivity to think about between the story of Balak and Balaam and the nativity that's mentioned in Matthew, in all the Gospels actually. But in Matthew that we read today, the the thought that I have is this. What part of God's plan for your life right now is confusing? What part are you struggling with? What are you struggling to trust God with? In this season, maybe it's during the Christmas season and you're stressed out about finances I'll never forget my first Christmas outside of my parents' house when I realized I still had bills I had to pay in January. <laughs> I thought, man, this is stupid. I hate this. And all they want to do is grow up. Don't. Stay there as long as you can. But maybe you're stressed. Maybe there's financial stress. Maybe there's work stress. Maybe it's end of the year deadlines. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe you just came through Thanksgiving and there was a disagreement around Thanksgiving and you're not, you're dreading it looking towards Christmas thinking I'm going to have to endure this again. 
whatever it is that you're struggling with, I believe that God knows his plan. And I believe this. I'm confident in this very thing that God's plan will not fail. He's never had to go with a plan B. I don't know if you're getting that in your spirit today. He's never had to go with a plan B. In fact, let me tell you what he says in Isaiah chapter 55. He says this to the people of Israel through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards your mean boss. Wait, what does that say? He's patient. It doesn't say anything. He's patient toward you. Not wishing, come on, thank you, Lord, right? Not wishing that anyone should perish, it says in chapter 3, verse 9, that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So the Lord is not slow. He moves slower than you want Him to, but that's okay. He's God and you're not. Would you close your eyes with me today? I want you to seriously consider this message and this call that I have for you today right now. If there's anything that you're struggling to understand in the plan of God for your life, we want to pray for you. If there's something you're struggling with, they don't have the answer, but they do know a God who does and they can pray with you and agree with you today. We'd love to do that. So if you're struggling with any aspect of God's plan for your life, maybe you're a teenager and you're thinking about the future and you're not sure what to do. God's got a plan for you and it's a good one. He wants to see you prosper, serve him, love him, obey him. He wants to let you in on that plan and give you a glimpse of it. Lord, I pray over Celebrate Church today over everyone in this room, everyone who hears this message, if any of them are struggling to understand your plan for their life, God, I pray today that you would speak from the heavens to the earth, to their heart, and help them to have confidence in knowing that your plan will prevail and it will never fail. If you need prayer for any reason, we ask that you step out right now and receive it as we sing this last song.